Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Many of you may know I didn't grow up in faith. I did not grow up in faith. This was all new for me about the age of 16 years old. I began to understand what it was to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ and what God was actually doing through Christ and saving my life. And I don't know about you, but for one, of the, one of the things that really struck me when I first began to follow Jesus or began to have faith conversations is that when I began to have faith conversations, um, I realized we talked so much about God and we talked so much about trying to understand who He is and trying to understand what He's about. But most of the time, I realized that we're actually trying to figure out who we are. That we are trying to figure out who God is, but we're trying to figure out who God is so that we are able to reflect, if you will, back upon humanity to find our place in this massive universe. I think old Karl Barth, the great German theologian, he said, he said, humans must first ascend to the heights of God and look upon His face before they can rightly descend and look at another human face. In other words, we cannot rightly know who we are as humans if we don't understand who God is. And I began to, in my faith journey, have these conversations and realize I found that a a huge part of the faith conversation is finding where we fit. It's finding where humans fit in this massive Universe. See, I actually believe the existence of God actually has an effect on the existence of us. That it really does. It changes who we are and gives direction to who we are. I'm not sure why I do this, but I, I love studying species. Um, I'm a science, I'm a nerd when it comes to school. I've always been a nerd when it comes to school. I love science. Uh, I feel like half my heart is a scientist, or at least a wannabe scientist, and half my heart a doctor, all encapsulated by a preacher. And... Um, but I've always loved science, and I've always loved the, the fascination of studying species. I think a huge part of it is because when I step back and I look at all that's on the planet, I, I, I would wonder, where do human beings fit on this planet? I remember even as a young boy imagining, where do humans fit on this planet? Like, what is our purpose on this planet? Where, what is the, the intent or the desire for human beings? You know... Uh, a lot of people in the church or that study the church and church history, they call themselves theologians. I like to think much more of myself as an anthropologist. Uh, I've faced and and have always had this fascination with human beings. I I love human beings. In fact, as a pastor, I'm a people person. That is to say, I, I can go hunt in the woods by myself, but I gain energy and fervor by being with people. When I hang around people, it doesn't drain me, it builds me up. When I hang around people, I get fuel. When I'm going through difficulty, I don't isolate. It's the exact opposite for me. I run as quickly as I can to community. I try to get people around me. That's just who I am. I've always been very fascinated with humans. But not just with humans, I'm fascinated with every kind of species. It's astonishing to me, church, that when we look at the ecosystem of the world around us, we know that the loss of one species will ultimately affect every other subsequent species. I mean, it really is amazing just how small the minute room of margin or air we have. If you think about it, if we lost bees, we would lose the whole planet. We would not just lose lose life as we know it, we would lose the whole planet. 
That, that there is such a distinct equation at work within the natural order. Now, you know, we live today in a very hostile nation. Uh, it doesn't take long to figure that out. You click on any social media app and you find that people get very bold and courageous behind desktop publishing. Their thumbs are way more bold than their faces. And, um, and so, so you find that this is a very hostile world. And we live in a nation, I know it sounds funny, but we live in a nation where I think the least like species is humans. I mean, I, I think the least like species are human beings. Today's world, everyone around us is advocating for different species. I mean, you turn on the TV and every other commercial is about the advocation of another species. You know, save the whales. I'm like, for all I know, the whales could be trying to save us. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, who's more advanced in this, right? You see another Sarah McLaughlin co- commercial with a dog with one eye. And then the next dog, you know, singing a City of Angels song. And the next dog doesn't have a paw. And the next dog doesn't have a tail. And we're, we're advocating for all of these species. But here's the deal. In our nation, whenever we talk about humans, we only talk about humans as if humans are only the problem. What I've learned in our modern culture is that we never see humans as a part of the solution. And so I started wondering, why do we only see humans as the problem and never as the solution? My proposal for us today is, could it be that our Gobi work is actually very integral to God's solution for the planet? Could it be that our Gobi work is actually the intent of God to bring about the planet, the race, the humanity that He desires. Then I came across this scripture years and years ago and you know it. The Bible says that we as humans are created in the image of God. In the image of God He created them. Male and female He created them. That we're made in the likeness and we're made in the image of God. And I started thinking and started wondering, listen, if we are created in the image of God, the Latins call that imago dei, if all of us are created in the image of God, then in many ways we should assume that humans are the best proof of God. That humans actually prove the existence of God. Because if, think about this, if we are the only species in the created world that are created in His image, then if you will carefully enough look at humans, you can begin to see God more clearly. Then I came to this verse in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, a very well known verse. I would like to look at it today. The Bible says, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What's this? Because anyone who comes to Him, that's God, must believe that He exists. Well, that would be right. If you're coming to God, you must believe that He's there. And that He, watch this, rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Now, that's such a pop culture verse. When I read it, you already think in your mind what you, you know what it means. We, we sometimes just kind of dismiss it. Let's listen to it again. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He is And that he, God, rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, I didn't grow up reading the Bible. I didn't grow up believing the Bible. So whenever I read something, I don't just accept the fact that it makes sense. I would get around people when I started following faith and following Jesus. I would get around people and it always, they would read scriptures and it looked like, or they pretended like, it all made sense to them. So I was unashamed or ashamed to try to admit that it actually didn't make sense to me. And when I read questions like that, I read scriptures like that. I, I, has anyone ever read something in the Bible that you did not understand? Okay. All right. And, and you're too afraid, right? You didn't want to say or admit it because everyone else around you acted like they did understand. But in reality, they didn't understand as well. And, and I looked at this and it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, my question immediately is, Why? Why? Why as humans is it impossible 
to please God without faith. And as I look at things in the world, I realize we are the only species God holds to that standard. God doesn't hold that standard to any other species that he created. No other species has to have faith to please God. No other species has to have intrinsic trust to please God. I'm getting a dog this week, picking her up on Wednesday. She's a, she's a little uh, a teacup and she's a multi-poo. So she's got a teacup uh, dad and a teacup uh, poodle mom. She's about a pound and a half. Her feet have never touched the ground in the sense of like unprotected ground. She's going to be awesome. We're calling her Rosie. I'll probably call her Rosie Posey. We live on Rosebrook Circle. We're going to bring her home this Wednesday, all right? Y'all pray for me. Uh, she'll be four pounds full grown. But I, I, I said, okay, I, I succumbed to my family. I said, I'll get a dog. They were bugging the tar out of me. Dad, if you don't get a dog, you got to shave your beard. I said, it's, I'm, 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 it's no shave November. I'm just working ahead of time. And they said, okay, I said, I'll get a dog, but that dog's got to be able to travel anywhere we go. Any ministry trip, anything we want to do spur of the moment, because that's the way we live our lives. And so that four pounder is going to be going all over the place. But nonetheless, we're getting a dog. I had a dog growing up. Her name was Madison. She was a shizu. Okay? She was supposed to be about 8 pounds. She was about 18 pounds because my parents treated her like a kid. They made, my mom paid pancakes for her every, every day, just like she made them for us. I mean, she had, now it shortened her life, caused her to have cancer. I mean, she was supposed to probably live 16 years. She had 12 years, but boy, those were Aunt Jemima field 12 years. Okay? She loved it. She loved it. But let me tell you something. I am convinced my dog did not have to live by faith. Y'all, if she would have been any less productive, she would have been a rug. Okay? She was not forced to live by faith. Now that I think about it, she really brought no value to our house. No income. No value. No intrinsic value. Not helping anybody else. I'm telling you, she had no dreams. She never thought about the future. She never dreamed about what she would do in the future. She never dreamed about the contribution she would make as a dog for our family. She had no drive, no passion. She didn't protect our house. She barked at nothing. She laid next to us on our pillow. I can tell you from very extensive research, my dog did not live by faith. Did not live by faith. And I look at other species. You see the march of the penguins. Good, march of the penguins. But let me tell you something. Those penguins ain't marching by faith. Salmon. Salmon swim upstream, yet salmon are never required to live by faith. Why are the only species that God holds responsible to live by faith human beings? In fact, if you think about it, everything in the universe has intention. Everything in the universe has creative design. Whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, there's one thing we know by the way things are designed, that everything on the planet has specific intention. This oxygen has intention. The solar system has intention. Gravity has intention. The mind has intention. Animals have intention. Water has intention. Everything created fulfills its intention without question. Nothing that was created has been created and chooses not to fulfill its intention. In fact, ready? We as humans are the only species on the planet that can live without intention. That can live beneath our intention. So then why are we the only species required to live by faith? Are you ready? It's because we are the only species that can actually choose to violate the intention for which we were created. No other species can violate that intention. 
Faith, listen church, you got to understand, faith is not some magical ingredient or some kind of supernatural agent that allows us to live a supernatural life. Here's what faith does. Faith simply restores our humanity. Faith doesn't take us beyond our humanity. Faith is the way whereby God imparts back to us the essence of what it means to be a human. It restores our humanity. That we have been living subhuman lives and faith makes us become human. Faith causes us to be humans again. The reason why it is impossible to please God without faith is that human beings are living subhuman lives. We are living beneath our humanity. We're living beneath our intention. And in people, y'all, people who don't even believe in God recognize this. What do atheists say? What do scientists say? Everything's natural. Everything around us is the natural order. Okay, I got you. I'm taking it with you. But isn't it odd then that we talk about inhumane acts? Has anybody ever heard a commentator say that act was inhumane? Man shooting people from a plaza hotel in Las Vegas while they're celebrating a country con. That's an inhumane act, people say. That's inhumane. Have you ever seen something and you thought to yourself, that is, that is an inhumane act? Yeah. Do you ever, has any of you ever in here watched the Discovery Channel, National Geographic, Planet Earth, any of these? Okay, good. Have you ever watched a lion hunt down an impala? And while the impala's trying to get away, fighting for its life, it's getting eaten on the other side of its body? I mean, literally, it's being eaten while it's trying to get away, right? You ever seen a killer whale play with a baby seal? I've seen it. Killer whale goes over to the baby seal, puts it in his mouth, doesn't crush it, doesn't crush any bones, throws it up in the air, size the can, and it makes flips in the air. Baby seal comes back down, splashes in the water, tries to swim off. Killer whale doesn't eat it, goes back over to it, puts it in his mouth, flips it back up in the air, makes it go through all these flips, hits the water, tries to swim back off. Killer whale goes back over, puts it in his mouth, flips the baby seal up in the air, and, 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 and they're just trying to play. The problem is the baby seal don't want to play. He doesn't want to be a part of this playground. When my children are small, which they are small, y'all, there are times where I can't literally watch, I can't let them watch Discovery Channel. It is terrifying. It's a ter- Y'all see it this week? Buck killed in Missouri. Been laying on the ground for 30 minutes. Senior citizen walks up to him that shot him, 70 years old. Guy get, the deer gets up, stabs him right in the gut, kills him. Can't make it back to the... I mean, nature is terrifying. I mean, really, it's terrifying when you think about it. But we never, y'all, we never look at a tiger, you know, chasing after an antelope. And we say, man, that is an inanimal act. We never look at a killer whale throwing baby seals in the air and say, what is wrong with you? Were you abused as a child? Did you skip counseling? Did you not go to therapy? We never look at a cobra and say, man, why is that so evil? Have you ever had a mosquito get on your body and start sucking the blood out of your veins? And when that mosquito gets there, you smack it? You don't think, "Hmm, that was an act of darkness. (laughs) No, you just accept the fact that everything else in creation lives within its nature. But somehow we know that when human beings act like animals, we're living beneath our own humanity. See, every atheist would never be able to disagree with that reality right there. We know intrinsically there's something in us that says it's inhumane. How can it be inhumane if there's not a higher standard? We never look at animals and say, that's an animal. We say, that's their nature. Their nature is to kill. 
Their nature is to eat one another. Their nature is survival of the fittest. But somehow we know that human beings, when we act like animals, are living beneath our, our level. We have this instinct that somehow we were created for more. That there can be inhumane acts because why? Because humanity is created in the image of God and we are supposed to reflect the character and the essence of our God. Not only do we think things are inhumane, we we, we think things in our world are unnatural. Unnatural things. How is it possible for humans to do unnatural things if all we are is within nature? How could someone say something's unnatural if everything is natural? My wife grew up as an asphalt baby. Concrete jungle. She didn't get out much. If she did, it was around buildings and concrete. Okay, I call her asphalt baby. It's what we do. I don't know if that's a Sunday Daisy, Tennessee term or what, but concrete baby is what I called her. I, I grew up around a farm. I spent a lot of time in cow patties. I spent a lot of time deer hunting. I spent a lot of time outside. And every time we moved to Atlanta, we moved twice. I would always ask my wife living in the city, when are we going to move out to nature? Okay, when are we gonna, and we're in nature now. Thank God we are. About a month and a half ago, two bears just walking through our neighborhood. I got a bear about six foot tall, about 100 yards behind my house on camera. Got a black bear, got deer all around me. Coyote got hit this last week. I mean, we're in nature now. It's awesome being where we are. And I would always ask her, can we move out to nature and stop living in the city? And then the thought hit me one day. If there is no God, then everything is nature. But humans know. There are things that are not nature. Oh. We know cities are man-made. You take your wife out in the Midwest and you say, Oh, look at all this beautiful nature. And she says, Man, look at all this undeveloped land. What do you mean undeveloped land? This is nature. This is nature. This is where humans are supposed to live. This is, this is what God intended. We talk about things that are unnatural. But yes, if there's no God, then everything's natural. So our cities are just our beehives. And our concrete is just our honeycombs. Isn't it odd that we human beings can actually perceive ourselves living outside of nature? We do. But if there's no God, it's all natural. But we humans have this instinct. What is it? This unexplainable instinct that we were created for more. So when it says without faith, it is impossible to please God. What is it saying? That's scripture's way of telling us God is trying to restore our humanity to make us human again. God's wanting to make us human again. So here's the question. How does faith make us human again? How does faith restore our humanity? How does faith make us human? Well, let's go back to verse 1. Everything I do is backwards. Let's read verse 1. The Bible says in verse 1, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for. Watch this. It's the confidence not in what we have. It's the confidence in what we hope for. It is not confidence in the things that we currently have possess it's confidence for things that we don't have we don't possess and it's assurance watch this about what we do not see now there's another place y'all in scripture where what the bible says does not match up with our human experience i don't know about you but i have more confidence in what i have than what i don't have anybody with me i have more confidence in the things i have than what i don't 
have. When it says faith is the confidence in what we hope for, it's telling us that there is a realignment that takes place when we begin to live by faith. See, when we live without faith, we have confidence in what we have. But when we begin to live by faith or with faith, we begin to have confidence in what we hope for. That tells us that when we live without faith, watch this church, when we live without faith, we are trapped in the past and we are stuck in the present. Watch this. When we live without faith, we are walking into the future backwards while holding on to our past. When we live without faith, we are walking backwards into tomorrow while holding on to our yesterdays. While holding on to our past. But when we live by faith, watch this. When we live by faith, we now are intrinsically connected to the future. People of faith are so deeply intimate with the future. Without faith, watch this, it's impossible to please God. And faith is not what we have. Faith is confidence in something we don't yet have. Faith is intrinsically causing us to put more faith in the future than in the present or past. Faith it necessitates us as humans are preoccupied with things that we hope for in the future. I was telling my wife the other day, you know, um, I, I live in this world a lot of times and she has to get me out of this world. And so we're driving down the road and she said, what are you thinking about? I said, babe, I'm so glad you asked me because here's what I've been thinking about. Okay, I've been thinking about the beautiful thing about hope. And, and here's, what, here's what the Lord is teaching me about hope. The amazing thing about hope is that hope only can exist in the future. Hope can't exist in the past. That's called regret. So what does that mean? It means that human beings are designed to be connected to the future. We as human beings are designed to be more committed to the future than we are committed to the past. There is no other species that actually thinks about the future. There's no other species that dreams about the future. There's no other species that hopes about the future. There's no other species that plans for the future, that lives for the future. I've always wondered where things come from. I've always been a wonder. I get a bit compulsive sometimes, and I start thinking, like, who was the first person to ever eat sushi? You ever think about that? You ever thought, who was the first person to ever eat popcorn? Somebody threw a kernel in the, pot, in the fire, the cob, and it just started popping. I mean, I'm just thinking, like, who's the first person to ever invent a zipper? You're talking about a rich dude. Zippers are everywhere. Like, who was the first person to ever eat sushi? And I'm thinking, you know, some Japanese fishermen out there at sea, vessels getting tattered, torn back and forth. They're hanging on for dear life, trying to make it to land, drinking the rainwater. They think, ah, oh, I'm starving, dive into the water, find a fish, throw it up on board. When they can't stand it any longer and they're starving, they start eating raw fish. After a couple of days, they think, you know what? I think tuna is the best. I think tuna is the best one. We might be onto something here. Add a little rice. Anybody want to go down and get some seaweed? Anybody want some wasabi, okay? I mean, I mean, have you thought about this? Like, who's the first person? I love sushi. Have you ever thought about who was the first person to eat a poisonous mushroom? We don't know. They died. <laughs> but as humans, watch this. We're connected to the future. But, but here's what happens as humans. We experience trauma. You know what trauma does? Trauma warps time. You know why trauma warps time? Because trauma insists on the past being in the present and being our future. It's the exact opposite of God's design. 
Trauma insists that what happened here stays here and will be there. That's what trauma does. And so what trauma does is it affects the human imagination and impacts our capacity to imagine and experience the love of God. But gratefully, trauma doesn't have the last word, folks, because humans can heal. God can heal humans of trauma. Listen, I know, I know some of you think, I don't want to face the trauma. Listen, we, I'm going to shoot it straight with you, okay? We don't make peace with our past or our present until we're willing to be in the bodies and the circumstances God has us in right now. Here's the, the truth, plain and straight. The biggest faith in your life is born in your body, not in spite of it. You say, Craig, what do you mean? Your body is not a cliff to conquer. Your body is not a challenge to overcome. Your circumstances are not circumstances or challenges to overcome. No, faith is your stubborn, courageous, bulldog willingness to turn again and again towards your body and the place it inhabits as the sacred space where God has chosen to dwell. And the only way you get through the trauma is to not do in spite of your body, but to look within your body. I say it this way. You move through pain, you don't get over pain. Or we can say it this way. The goal is not perfection. The goal is wholeness. Wholeness. We're whole makers. God has made us whole makers. That's what it means to be human. But I always ask the question, where did things begin? I always wonder, where did something come from? The first musician, Genesis, Jabal, the Bible says, Jubal. The first to live in tents, the Bible said, and to have herds. They called him Jabal. Where does something start from? Church, listen to me. Where does the future come from? Most of us, we think of the future as coming from out there. But what you may not realize is that the future does not come from out there. The future comes from in here. The future is never out there. The future is always in here, in the same way that, that bees create hives, and in the same way that ants create colonies, human beings are creating futures. We are designed by God to create futures. But we create futures so naturally, y'all, that we are unaware of it. We're unaware of it. We're like silkworms. Silkworms don't wake up in the morning and think, man, what am I going to make today? They just make silk. Silkworms never wake up and say, you know what? They have one career. They never say, you know what? I think today I'm going to make a nice polyester blend. <laughs> no, they make silk. In fact, are you ready? Silkworms just create out of their essence. You know another one that's fascinating to me? Beavers. Beavers are fascinating to me. Because beavers have one career choice. Make dams. No other, no other career choice. Indiscriminate. Male, female, baby, big, fat, small, skinny. You all make beavers. I mean, all make dams. You can make beavers too. That's a different action though. Those things don't get planned, but they're perfect comic relief. Doesn't matter. Beavers make dams for generations. It, you, you know, it's crazy. Some, some humans, we, we often are named for what our ancestors did in the past. Anybody here with the last name Carpenter? Somewhere along the way, your families were carpenters. We got some Smiths in this church. 
Because somewhere along the way, your family were blacksmiths. Some of you, your last name lets you know what your family did from generation to generation. But listen, human beings are different from all other species. Beavers build dams because they are always beavers. But a human can be the son of a doctor and yet choose to become an artist. See, human beings can be the son of a teacher and yet become a scientist. Human beings can be the daughter of a dentist and yet somewhat be a dancer. Human beings can be the daughter of a, of a, of a, of a teacher and yet become an orchestra director. You can have your degree in medicine and decide you want to become a coach. You can change your career. No other species can choose the future. No other species can change and create the future. Human beings can reimagine their futures and they can actually create them. We are different from every other species on the planet. And I think, listen to me, because of our faith, for many of us, we have a total misunderstanding as it relates to our relationship to the future. We act so passive as if, well, if God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. You ever heard somebody say that before? Well, if it's going to happen, if God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You ever said that before? Like, God, if, if you're going to grow this church, then God's going to grow this church. No, no, no. How would he grow this church? except through the people that are sitting in black chairs right now. It's your choice, not his. It's my choice, not his. And when I became a person of faith, y'all, I was always so confused because when somebody would do something good for me, amazing for me, they would say, oh, it didn't me. It was the Lord. And I thought that was odd when I first came to Jesus because I would go to him and I'd be like, well, it sure looked like you. Has God got blonde hair? Curls? Oh, no, no, don't, don't thank me. Wasn't me. Don't thank me. Thank God. Well, I'm like, I can thank you both. I've got plenty of gratitude today. I'll thank you and the one who made you. I don't... Mm. You know why we do that? Because we have an improper relationship to the future. We act as if everything good is just God because you can't have anything to do with it. You as a human can't have anything to do with good, but I'm here to serve notice at the end of this October at Dwelling Place Church. Can I... I tell you, and I want you to know that you are actually designed to do good. Ephesians 2 sin says that you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And when you are doing good, humans, when you're doing something awesome, you're not in competition with God. You are actually reflecting the character, essence, and nature of God. You would say, oh, God wants it to be all of God and none of me. No, he had all of God and none of you before he created you. He wants it to be all of God in all of you. He wants it to be all of God in all of me. People hate secular humanists. I actually agree with humanists a lot of times that we as humans are supposed to be the best humans we can be. We're created in God to do good works. So oftentimes this huge sense of passivity in our lives is because it creates this paralysis and we keep wanting God to do something. God, change something. God, do something. Do it, Lord. And we don't hear that God is up in heaven absolutely declaring from eternity, Craig, I have done something. I created you. Now you do something. You do something. Not me. You do something. Some of you, you need a shift 
from confidence in what you have to confidence in what you hope for. Church, if we are going to be the church that's a beacon of light to this community, we as a church are going to have to corporately embrace this message and stop putting more faith in what we currently have and be willing to risk it for what we hope for. We as a church are going to have to make a seismic shift to having more confidence in that which we hope for in the future than that which we see. If you feel a heart to a missionary impulse or a call to whatever people God has called you to, you've got to make a seismic shift from confidence in what you currently have to confidence in something you hope for. Now, we in Atlanta, we, we have lots of singles. We do. Entrepreneur city. And it's crazy how many times you hear people dating someone they don't like. It makes no sense to me. A lot of times women are like, he used to be so sensitive, Pastor Craig. He used to bring me gifts, show up on time. Now he never calls, never texts back, cancels dates. And her girlfriends are like, well, dump him. And she's like, I can't do that. He's my man. Let me tell you why you hold on to the person you should let go of because you have more confidence in the person you have than the person you hope for. And that's the majority of people I interact with. They have more confidence in what they have than the person they hope for. And so they stay faithful. That's, that they stay, if we could say it that way, kind of inverted. They stay faithful to that which doesn't require faith. That's what they do. So we don't want to move outside of that. I hear people, let me... T- People sit complaining about their job. I hate my job, Pastor Craig. I hate my boss. I hate the routine. I live for Friday. I hate Mondays. I'm like, quit. I can't quit. I have responsibilities. I got bills to pay. Listen, the reason you stay in the same job is because you have more confidence in the job you have than the job you hope for. It's more comfortable. You'll stick with it. Then I meet people who hate their life. And I'm like, why in the world would you hold on to the life you have when you can grab hold of the life you hope for? You're in America, for goodness sakes. Some people say, I hate my life. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I came from. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how to change my situation. I don't know how to change my marriage. And I always say, well, why don't you turn in your old life, give it to Jesus, and let him give you a new life? Why hold on to what you have instead of grabbing what you hope for? Because we have more confidence in what we have than confidence in what we Hope for, and God wants to return to us our essence as human beings because humans, ready, are designed to create the future. Humans are designed to create the future. God, listen, some of you are so nervous about your, your future. I want to say something to you here. God is never as nervous about our future or as concerned about our past as we are. He just wants trust now and hope for the future. If we're going to be a church marked with confidence in what we hope for, we're going to have to restir ourselves. See, I, I don't know about you, but we see a church, God, that is marked by the power and presence of God. That's what we see. We see a church that grows smaller as it grows larger. We see our church growing larger and growing smaller as people stay connected in connect groups and connected in teams and connected in ministry teams. I see a church that's built on the sacrifices of many people, not the gifts or talents of a few people. I see a church who cares just as much about those who will be one day as those who already are right now. 
we, 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 I see a church that cares about the potential and the seed of Christ in future individuals as I do about those who are with us now. I see a church, no doubt, that honors the past but is willing to risk it all for the future. We see a church that is feeding hungry people. We see a church that is reaching to those that are destitute and hurt. We see a church that, that our influence is known for love, a church where relationships are real and hearts are changed by the Spirit of the Lord. I want to tell you today, I see a church where the message is so clear that lives forever can be changed and people can really live through the power of His Word right here, right now. I see a church where our worship really touches the heart of the Father, where Jesus is given first place in our lives and primacy, where the moving of the Spirit of God is welcome and the very songs of heaven are poured out in the presence of the Lord. I see a church where altars are built and lives can be transformed. I see a church where hurting people are welcome, where sinners in our community are not judged and where salvation is available to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. I see a church who loves people so extremely that people are drawn from impossible situations where they're living in human hell holes, where they're living in earthly hell holes and they are brought into a community where they have a friendly circle of hope where answers can be found and freedom is real and acceptance is given the moment you walk in the door. I see a church where people's lives are forever impacted, where people are filled with the hope, depression, anxiety, and mental illness is broken off of people. I see a church alive inside that's not caught up just in numbers, but who reaches out with others. Why? Because we can't help but the love of Christ that compels us, whose lives, our lives overflow and touch other people's lives. Our lives create out of the essence of who we are. I see a church that moves in the power of the Holy Spirit. I see a church that understands we're a listening church. We hear God. We listen for God. We want to follow after God. We stay together in community. We pray for one another. We care for one another. We love one another. We serve one another. I see a church where every person can find their place. Where every person embraces what God has them on the planet for. That there is a beautiful tapestry that the Lord is weaving together. Where people of all ages, children, teens, adults, senior adults come together. I see a church. Do you see it? I drive by Springfield multiple times a week. I see a church where our buildings are a testimony to our God who specializes in miracles. Where we can say to the next generation, our God, he brings about the impossible and it cannot be denied, Jonathan Knox Mosgrove. Because when God has an imagination and a dream, he implants it within his people. And when his people are willing to risk, God meets them where they are. I see a church that's creative. I see a church that's innovated, bringing the message of hope to people in ways that it's not been brought before. Yet powerful, convicting, life-giving messages. I see a church where great gifts will be raised up. Where leaders, teachers, evangelists, pastors, apostles, prophet, evangelists, pastor, teachers are equipped by God's people. Why? Equipped with the word of God. Thoroughly equipped in the men and women who will send out and will change the world around them. I see a church that's generous, y'all. I see a church that knows how to give selflessly. Knows how to walk in the goodness of God. The provision of God who supplies every one of their needs. Who put God first in every area of their lives. And they see him as their true treasure and provider. I see a church so committed to raising, training, and empowering a leadership generation of young people. Church planners and pastors who will go from this place and change the world. I see a church who never stops searching for lost people because God never stops searching for us. I see a church who would not stop looking for those that are destitute and hurting. Why? Because God kept looking for me. I see a people so kingdom minded that they will count whatever the cost and pay whatever the cost in order to see revival touch people. I see a church that's manifesting Christ in many ways to many people. I see a church that gathers people to Jesus Christ and leads them to biblical maturity for the multiplication of believers, leaders, and churches. I see a church 
church that molds the foundations of many generations. I see a church and a people that are not so short-sighted that they can't see thousands of years and 10,000 years into the future when we're in heaven and people are coming to us and saying, thank you for following the dream God gave you. Thank you for willing to risk it all and live by faith. I see a church where people can understand there is a multiplicity of cultures and different desires and different gifts and talents to be expressed in the community that we live in. I see a church that is shining brightly for generations, y'all. I see a church that's shining should the Lord tarry long after I go meet Jesus. Long after I meet Jesus. I see a church called Dwelling Place Church in Woodstock that's still brightly shining. Yes, praise God. The question is, though, do you? Do you? So faith is confidence in what we hope for, not what we have. But then secondly, faith, watch this, is assurance about things we don't see. Y'all, therein again, we have another scripture that goes against the human experience. It is a whole lot easier to have assurance in things that I do see than I don't see. Anybody with me? It is easier to see that that's a shoe because I see that it's a shoe. I have assurance that's a good-looking shoe. Either one of those shoes, I'm good with it. I like them both. I probably couldn't wear caprices, but I could wear yours. I have to cut out the ends and let my toes come out the end, but nonetheless. So watch this. We're to be connected to the future because why? Because we're God's instruments for creating the future, but we should have assurance also in what we don't see. It's hard to have assurance in what we do not see. It's just easier to know something you see. Isn't it? But watch this. The problem is that if you have assurance in what you see, you're no different than a coyote with a rabbit in its mouth. You just have confidence in what you see. If you are living life with assurance in only what you see, you are living beneath your humanity. (laughs) If you right now live only with assurance in what you see with your eyes, you are less than human. Less than human. God is restoring with faith our ability to have assurance in things that we do not see. You're supposed to live with assurance in that which cannot be seen. He unravels this in in verse 3. It's so powerful. This is what he says in verse 3. He says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Oh, watch this. The universe was formed at God's command. Watch this. Watch this. So that, here it is, what is seen was not made out of what was visible. That which is seen around us came from that which is invisible. Now, we need major clarity here. I told you I love science. But here's what science says. Science says everything comes out of something. And something came out of nothing. Big Bang Theory. And we Christians say, that's absurd. So here's what we do. We say something incorrect too, but we, we, we give our definition. We say, everything came out of something, and something came out of nothing, but God was there. I don't want to disappoint you, but that's not what the Scripture says. And people who believe the Scripture, it's pretty important that you actually know what the Scripture says. The scriptures did not say that something came out of nothing. The scriptures said everything that's seen came out of that which was not seen. It was invisible. Now, it's important. There is a difference between something being not visible and something being not existent. 
Let me say it again. There is a difference between nothing and something invisible. Big difference. It says everything that is seen, leave it up there, came out of that which is not seen. So then I wonder myself, here's what I wonder. What is the not seen material? What did God use to create everything that is visible? Well, he gives you some insights along the way. He says to Jeremiah, Before you were born, Jeremiah, I knew you. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I called you out. So what God is saying is, Jeremiah, before you existed in the womb of your mother, you were an idea in the mind of God. Before you existed as a human body, you were an idea in the imagination of God. Let me tell you, church, before you were held by the arms of your father, you were in the dreams of the creator of the universe. Universe. What the scriptures are telling us is that everything God created first existed in the imagination of God. So that what is seen came out of that which was invisible. I remember a young man a couple years ago in our church, he said, Craig, it sounds good, but God, God can't dream. I looked at him, I said, well, we can dream. And if we can dream and God can't dream... Are you saying God can't do something we can do? That's what I asked him. I said, are you saying we can do something God can't do? You said God can't dream, but I said we can dream. So if we're made in the image of God, you're saying we can do something God can't. I know this may come as a surprise to many of you, but God has one career. He's an artist. And on the seventh day, he stepped back from creating and rested. Listen, church, if you are created by God, it should not surprise you that you have an imagination and you have the capacity to create a future. You ready? You were imagined to imagine and you were created to create. You are a work of art and an artist at work. What makes you like God is that you can create futures. You can choose. You've been provided with all the materials needed to design the future God put in your heart. You have that choice as a human. You have that choice. It says everything that's seen came out of that which is unseen. Human beings have a superpower, y'all, but we only call it a superpower because we lost our original power. You know what that is? Human beings have the capacity to materialize the invisible. Deer cannot materialize acorns. Dogs cannot materialize bones. Humans can materialize what's invisible. We can create futures. You have the capacity to have a dream, have an idea, and to translate that into reality. In fact, can we go a little sci-fi for a few moments? I'm almost finished. You right now, you're living inside of someone else's imagination. Now, it's not a perfect imagination, but everybody in this room right now, we are living inside the imagination of Abraham Lincoln. Right now, we're walking through his imagination. Right now, we're living in the imagination of George Washington. We are living. You want a little inception right here? Okay. We are living in the imagination 
of Thomas Jefferson. We are living in the imagination of John Adams. And and, in fact, listen, whatever your political persuasion is, it doesn't matter. But let me tell you something. Over 50 years ago, a man named MLK Jr. got up and he said these words. He said, I have a dream. I have an imagination that one day men and women will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, right? I believe, and let me tell you something, whatever your political persuasion, just a few years ago when Barack Obama took oath and he swore an oath to office, he literally ended that moment became the first african-american president and he literally walked inside the dream of mlk jr someone is dreaming that place up on springfield drive right now somebody is somebody's dreaming up a place where lives can be touched somebody's got if god wants it done somebody's got to dream it if god wants it done somebody's got to imagine it if god wants it done somebody's got right now we are inside of a god dream you right now are getting ministry because somebody dreamed god dreamed god put that dream in somebody else's mind and somebody took the desire to say God I'll do what you want me to do we are in the middle of a dream right now I don't know about you but I like it in here I really really like it in here but what I need from our church is a bigger imagination why where does the future come from pastor Craig the future waits for the person with the courage to create it that's where the future comes from with someone with the courage to create it. The future is born inside the dreams and hopes and imaginations of a human being. You don't believe me? Go teach DP kids. The brain of a child is the home of dreams. Oh, dreams live inside of children's heads. And somewhere along the way, life jaded you, beat you down so much you turned cynical and pessimistic and you now no longer believe You can change the world. If I could say to you, please don't lose your four-year-old self hidden in the bathroom closet thinking you're Batman. And don't lose your six-year-old self hidden in the tub playing hide-and-go-seek with your friends thinking you're Batwoman. Children are just like our God. Home of dreams. Home of imagination. And you see why the enemy wants to keep us so busy. Because if you're so busy, he will hijack your imagination. You'll just keep living and not really live. You'll just keep moving through the motions and never actually think. Never actually dream. Never actually imagine. Y'all, I don't know how to say this other than I remember as a kid, I remember disappearing into an imaginary world. And I liked it there. (laughs) I'll be honest with you, as a kid, I felt more comfortable and safe in that world than the world out here. Because I felt like this world, I didn't belong. So I started living inside of this internal world. But listen, the longer I lived there, the harder it was to get out. And so I would live up there. But the imagination, watch this. The human imagination is fueled by the soul. So watch, if your soul is fueled by bitterness, if your soul is fueled by fear, if your soul is fueled by filled with anger and violence, then you create in your imagination a world that should never exist. Everything in this life is not actually what it is. It's how you perceive what it is. That's all of human existence. 
But if your soul is full of love, if your soul is full of compassion, if your soul is full of God's purpose, if your soul is full of empathy, then what happens is your soul begins to create an imagination. And your imagination creates a world that's so beautiful, that so looks like what God desires, that the world around you is desperately needing you to create. The question is not can you create. The question is what will you create. You may not know this, church, but you are a creative. You are an artist. You are designed by God with all the material needed to imagine a better world and go create that world so what is in your imagination my kids know when I start writing sermons they know not to be around I mean they do because I'm living up here and they know I shouldn't drive dad you're not driving because I'm not aware of what's happening on the road or any have you ever done this before you drove all the way home you're like how in the world did I get home right hypnosis right hypnosis I mean this is me I live up here a lot of times and they know. Last night, got done with baseball, and I said, don't, don't bother Dad. Just go and know. Don't come to me and say, Dad, you never play with me. Dad is going to be sermon prep, and I'm living up here, okay? Not going to live here this evening. I'll live here tomorrow at the festival, okay? But right now, I'm going to live up here. They know. My wife, poor wife, y'all pray for her. We drive down the road sometimes, and finally, after three and a half hours, she says, I can't stand it anymore. I'm like, you can't stand us? You can't, what, our marriage? What, what, what's, you haven't said one word to me. And I'm like, babe, I'm just doing what I've always done. I've been quiet for the last 10 years listening to you and the kids talk. Okay, it's nothing new. Nothing new, I'm just, and then I say to her, hey, I'm having amazing conversations over here about deer hunting, Tennessee football, Jeremy Pruitt. If you wanted in, why didn't you just invite yourself? I mean, just ask. I'll let you in. You can talk with us. We're, we're having a great time over here. But I live there. I do live there. And my question is this. I can say with confidence that there are oppressive energies in the universe that seek to kill, steal, and destroy. And they attack us precisely at the, the point of our greatest gifts. And if you have a great imagination, you better get ready because the enemy is going to try to hijack your imagination. That's my biggest challenge. You got a great mind, he's going to try to hijack the point of your greatest gift. He does. I said he does. I never forget a few years ago, I was watching this um, interview with Norman Geisler. I love Norman Geisler. Wrote a book called Chosen But Free. The interrelationship between God's sovereignty and human free will. And he combats most five-point Calvinism throughout this book. But nonetheless, I love this text. And Norman Geisler's been a guy I've followed... Very early on in his ministry, he said he got invited to Columbia University, an Ivy League school. Come on, Jesse. And he was in a debate. He didn't know it was going to be a debate, but he had a, a secular scientist there. And then you had a head of the Department of Philosophy. This guy was a Kantian, the Kant, you philosophy people, a Kantian philosopher. And he said, he said, honestly, I felt sad for God. <laughs> he, said, he said, you got the secular scientist who's got all the preparation. And you got this philosopher who's got all the preparation. And then you got me. <laughs> he said, I felt really bad for God. You got the only believer, the only one that's going to stand up for God. And he said the topic was epistemology. Epistemology is a study of knowing. How can we know something? Can we know? What can we know? How do we know we know? And he said the uh, first person got up, and it was the secular scientist, and it was time to read their opening statement, and the guy read his opening document, and he said, what can be known is what can be empirically proven. And Geisler said, man, that sounded good. I like that. I like that. And then he read his deal. 
I said, what could be known? And then the Kantian philosopher, she was a lady, she said, what can be known is human action. He said, that sounded good too. So I really like that. And they looked at the Christian. <laughs> they said, what can be known? He said, well, I know, number one, I don't have an opening statement. <laughs> and number two, I know I should have prepared. <laughs> That's what he said. Okay, First thing I know is I know I should have prepared. And then here's what he said. He said, I'm actually not an expert at knowing. He said, since I've become a believer, I'm more of an expert at mystery. He said, in fact, the longer I live, the less I know. With all due respect, though, secular scientists, it seems to me that science is all about what we don't know. Because science isn't driven by what we know or we would stop studying. Science is all driven by what we don't know. We're trying to find out what we don't know. So with all due respect, I don't think this is an issue of knowing, but an issue of mystery. He said to the Kantian philosopher, with all due respect, I, I really like the thought of understanding human action, but the reality is ethics is not just studying human action. Ethics is studying the expiration of the human motivation. Why do we do what we do? And with all due respect, that moves more in the realm of mystery than it does in knowledge. And I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my gosh, we humans are so complex in the layers of what we know that we know things that we don't even know how we know. We know things as humans, we don't know how we know them. I know that two plus two equals four and I know blue and gray and green and black, white. And I know my wife loves me. She'll be with me to the life's end. But that's two different types of knowing. She's not right there. Babe, I miss you. She's serving in the nursery. For those of you who didn't know why I was looking at this chair, okay? I'm not a linebacker for Notre Dame, okay? I'm not Monty Teo, okay? Invisible girlfriend a couple years back. In fact, one time I was traveling a lot. I got back from a week-long mission trip. And I walked in the house. My wife, first thing she said, can you help me take out the garbage? <laughs> Leading souls to Jesus overseas. She's worn out, kids. You know, stains on her clothes, boogers everywhere. You know, like, would you please take out the trash? I said, babe, just, man, I just got home. You sit down and rest. Tired. She said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So I sit down, prop my feet up on the couch, and I got a phone call. My buddies called me and said, hey, bro, we got a gym for tonight. You want to play basketball? I said, well, give me a minute. I walked into the kitchen. I said to my beautiful, understanding, amazing, charming wife, I said, uh, babe, after I take out the trash, and after I clean the carpets, and after I wash your car, and after I change the baby's diapers, do you think tonight I could possibly go play basketball? She said, no, you're so tired. You just need to rest. She said, you're so worn out. You just need to sit down on the couch, and you're just... And I said, it's a miracle. My energy's restored. Somebody's fasting for me. I don't know what's happening. I feel all of this energy in my body. I feel so ready to play. And she said to me, she said, oh, well, let me understand something. You've been gone for a week, and the first night you get back home at the house, you would rather go play basketball with the boys than spend time with me? And I said, well, when you put it like that, that doesn't sound too good. And then she said, sure. 
Go right ahead. And somehow I knew she didn't mean that. Somehow I knew humans know things that we don't even know how we know. Could our human imaginations be the playground for God? Could our dreams, aspirations, and desires be the place that God speaks? That the reason you can imagine a world that does not exist, a life you've never lived, a you you've never known, is because God created you to be able to see what cannot be seen and is invisible. People around us experience depression and panic attacks and anxiety and all kinds of worries. But do you realize the only reason humans can experience depression is because we can imagine a different life? It's because we imagine a world that we've never seen. It's because we know something has been missing along the way. That the, the only reason we struggle with mental health is because our souls know something is missing. Our souls know something intrinsically is not right. There's this phenomenon in science called phantom pain. You know what phantom pain is? Phantom pain is only when you lose a limb and once you've lost a limb then after you've lost it, the limb you remember that limb and you feel its pain even though it's not there. I'm convinced that human ideas and human dreams and human ideals are the phantom pain of the soul. We long for a world with peace and yet we've never known a world with peace. How do we know we want peace if we've never lived in peace? We long for a world with justice yet we've never lived in a world with justice. We long for a world where every child has a home. We've never known a world where every child has a home. We long for a world where everybody's loved and everybody matters and everyone's significant. We've never known a world where everybody loves and everybody is significant and everybody matters. What are you saying, Craig? Yet we will fight for that world. Why? Because human ideals are the phantom pain of the soul because our souls know we've lost something along the way and our souls are trying to take us back to where we came from. Our souls are trying to get us to reimagine a world that God desires. So we dream of a world with peace and we'll fight for peace. We dream of a world with justice and we'll fight for justice. We dream of a world where everyone's loved and we'll fight for a world where everyone is loved. We dream of a world where it's full of significance and we'll fight for a world full of significance even though you've never seen it in the visible. You've already seen it in the invisible because that's the world that God always imagined for you You are an outlet for his dream. His dream. See, some of you, the thing about prolonged pain, the longer you have pain, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, is that even when the pain recedes, you're so tired of fighting from fighting to survive for so many years, just trying to survive hell. That it still hurts. And I tell people counseling all the time. Phantom pain echoes long after the injury has gone. You still feel it. Because you've been so damaged. Gratefully. That damage doesn't have the last word. You can heal as a human. You can heal as a human. You can heal. Be gentle with yourself today. Try a little bit softer. 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus Christ came to this earth. And we discovered he was God among us. That the creator of the universe 
took on flesh and blood and he refused to relinquish his dream for us. And even though we were willing to settle for less, he refuses to leave us there. I want you to know today there's a God who has you in his imagination. There's a God who's dreaming about you today. There's a God who's thinking about you today. He knows what what can take. He can take what is invisible and make it visible in your life. Look around at each person right now. Just look around. I want you to think about this. Each person here is a manifestation of the imagination of God. They are a manifestation of God's imagination. That's who they are. God imagined you. God created you. God put in you. Now he wants you to trust him. Why? So you can put your life into his hands so that he can breathe into you his imagination his creativity and his beauty thank you so much for listening to this week's message if you would like more information about our church be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org 